all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. I should say that to myself, shouldn't I? Hi, Lorna. Welcome back. Where the fuck have you been? That's the real question, isn't it? I owe you guys an apology, or you, Guy, or whoever's left listening to this, because, um, yeah, fucking sorry. I have been a total useless piece of shit and haven't done a podcast with no excuses, no reasons, no explanations whatsoever. I just stopped doing the podcast for an entire month and a half. So I'm really sorry. Uh, I don't have an excuse except for a really good excuse, and that is that I fell in love with somebody. And, uh, yeah, nothing else mattered. <laughs> I don't know. I think, it, I think it's a good enough excuse. Like, it's not really a good excuse. A uh, normal, healthy person would probably just, like, continue on with their life and then make room for a person that they are going to fall in love with. And uh, I go fucking head over heels, head first into everything. <laughs> it's good, I think, because it's worked well for me in the past. It's made me really good at things that I care about and uh, make me, I guess, have the focus and dedication to learn a skill uh, when it came to Muay Thai or skiing or anything else that I did this to. But uh, love, you know, it's one of those things like you can't just abandon everything and disappear into a beautiful cloud of blissful love because eventually at some point you're going to fall out of the cloud and hit your head but that's okay here I am I'm back and I'm about to do an entire podcast to excuse my own behavior so here we go <laughs> so today I uh, wanted to apologize to you for abandoning you for so long uh, I'm sorry about that I'm back now and uh, I want to talk about love and meaning because I think these are like the two greatest pursuits that anyone can ever have in a human experience. That's just what it feels like to me. It feels like if we, I don't know, the reason why we exist is to seek love and meaning for our life. I don't know that there's anything else really that we're supposed to do. I know that a lot of people think that like they need to get a yacht and some bitches or whatever, but for me personally, I think like to live a life that's worth living, those are the two things that kind of have driven, well, they seem to be the thing that drives most people, mostly everything. Because like, why do you want a yacht and bitches? Instant gratification and to be able to ride high on the seas, I think, and bring your mates on board and let them fuck prostitutes. I guess that's probably why you do that. That's a meaningful way of living, isn't it? Giving your mates shout outs and chlamydia. <laughs> anyway for me at least it feels like the purpose of our existence is to seek love and find love within ourselves and within other people or connection to something else that's greater than us and uh, meaning is that same thing connecting to something greater than yourself so it's not just this kind of like self-indulgent hedonistic traipsing from a to b instead you are like I don't know, actively invested in providing meaning and value to your own experience and that of the people around you. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, I think it's something that's fucking dumb about me 
and probably it's probably like everybody in the human experience, but like I spend so much time and energy trying to figure out why I do what I do. This whole reason I made this podcast is to like figure out at the core of everything that I'm doing, why I say the shit I say, why do I do what I do? Why am I pursuing this shit? And I wanted to talk to other people that are also trying to do shit in their lives. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you pushing through something hard for this thing? What value does it give to you? Like, what's the point? And so I spend so much of my time and energy thinking about that stuff. But then when I do a behavior that may or may not be contributing to my life in a positive way, I am like completely unable to stop it. I see it happening. I know that it's happening, but I don't do anything about it. Like this podcast is one of the best things I've ever done in my life. It's probably one of my favorite things to do. And as soon as there was a man standing in front of me that wanted to be in love with me, I didn't give a fuck about the podcast <laughs> at all because like the fucking amazing, nice, loving, caring, fun, exciting thing it is to be with a person that you're in love with, like just completely drowns everything else out. But is it really such a bad thing? I mean, on one hand, uh, this is going to sound like an excuse and I'm probably going to use it as an excuse. Like, our neurochemistry doesn't work in our favor as far as this is concerned. Like we, I, I've talked about this a bunch in other podcasts and I don't know fuck all about it. Obviously I'm not a neuroscientist, but there's a concept called neuroplasticity that I find fucking fascinating. And the idea is that we don't have a set structured brain. We have a brain that with every single new experience, memory, even if you experience a new experience of a memory, meaning you just like bring it to mind and retell a story or whatever, that changes the physical structure of your brain on a minute neural connection level. Isn't that fucking insane? So every time that you tell yourself the same story inside your head, basically what you're doing is just driving down the same sandy path on a beach over and over and over and over again until that path becomes so rutted out that no matter how many times you want to go to the same destination, you have to follow those tracks because they're so deep. And every time you try to drive next to them or go a different way, that your tires get sucked into that track. That's what it's like while you're uh, when you... I guess, submit to habits or whatever. So it's a good thing because the reason why your brain's designed to do it this way is so that like automatic processes don't take conscious attention. So like if I want to drive a car, I don't have to struggle with the clutch and the gas pedal the way I did when I was 16. I eventually figured out how to do it, created a bunch of neural pathways that do that automatically now. And now I can like text and eat McDonald's and change my clothes in the car while I'm driving to work. Because I don't have to worry about pushing in the clutch every single time. So it likes, it's a super efficient way of doing things. The annoying thing is, though, when you have a habit that typically leads you down the same path every single fucking time and you can see yourself doing it, but you do it anyway, you're going to end up at the same crash site that you always end up at. So, you know, like, uh, it's dumb, but my brain wants to go this way because it likes it. <laughs> and it's not just that. It's not just a habit. I'm, my brain also likes it because uh, falling in love is exactly like taking drugs. And I'm going to talk about all of that in, in the course of this podcast today. But um, first, the main thing that I wanted to talk about is like, because always what I'm talking about is motivation. And so it's not just that like I'm a victim of my neurochemistry. That's bullshit. Our brain is set in a certain track, right? Um, because we've 
go over these same connections over and over again by replaying the habit. But the whole point of neuroplasticity is that you actually have the option to change it by making a focused, concentrated effort to drive down a different path. So instead of getting sucked into those tracks, if you can pause in the middle of that or retrain your brain away from that path, you can eventually over time start taking a new path and those old pathways will get filled in with other sand or whatever and then they will disappear eventually over time. It's fucking amazing. So anyways, the before I get into all of the um, dumb, dumb? None of it's dumb, obviously. I wrote it. I um, The main question that I had was like, if you get stuck in a track of life that you're on because you've decided that that's meaningful or that's important and that's the purpose of your existence, then it's really hard to make any kind of significant changes within that path. But at the core of me, I do know that love and meaning go hand in hand with each other. They're not replacing each other and they never should. I think what's happened to me over time is that I've developed a little bit of a protection mechanism around the concept of love because I always thought that I was never going to have it or that love is fleeting or comes and goes. And I mean, that's always still a possibility. Like you still have to show up for someone, even if they love you, they're not going to love you forever if you turn into a cunt, you know what I mean? Or a fat slob or whatever. So you do have to still maintain and nurture a loving relationship. But I guess what I have thought in my life in the experiences that I've had in my life, is that love, like, comes and goes, can't really be relied upon. Definitely, certainly in my family life growing up, it was kind of like a weird thing. I had to earn attention and affection or something in a weird way. So I think over time, instead of having a healthy relationship and a healthy balance between love and pursuing a life of meaning, I cut myself off from the idea of love so that I could pursue meaning in the hopes that that is something at least solid that I can't lose. Like if I pursue a career in comedy and just focus on that and focus on being the best I can be and the best writing I can do and just showing up all the time, doing tons of gigs, like that that is the only thing that's something that's within my control at the very least and isn't going to be disappointing to me. And then I did stand up comedy and realized that it's incredibly disappointing constantly. <laughs> It's so fucking hard. And it's not that it's like, uh, it's not that it's, dis I disappoint myself constantly in this, in, in the world of comedy because I'm so fucking new to it and naive and learning a part of, as a part of this process that it's, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was like, oh, creativity will never leave me. And it's like, oh no, sometimes there's just rocks banging into each other inside my head. Like there is nothing funny in here. And you are going to be disappointed in yourself periodically. And having a relationship with that, I think, so what I had done anyway, the point was, is that I thought, oh, fuck it. If I just commit myself to doing creative things all the time, at least creativity will never let me down. At least I will always feel safe and secure and at home in this place of creativity. And I don't have to worry about whether he's out, you know, licking other people's assholes or whatever. But then now... This love thing is like fucking came into my life totally unexpectedly, appeared, and it was so strong and so real that it was like, oh, fuck. I can't pretend like this isn't a thing. Like, I can't run away from this. It's so clearly right in front of my face and something that I need that despite all of my protection mechanisms and walls that I've built up around myself in order to live this kind of like independent creative life, I am... Um, couldn't help but let it through. 
And thank God for that because uh, I think that means that's I'm growing, changing as a person. But it doesn't mean it was super. It was easy. And there's a lot of scary stuff that comes in comes into play when you're in love with somebody. You know, like there's a lot of vulnerability, whatever, changing structures in your life. Like I had to completely rethink my experience of myself in the world to make room for another person. And yeah, I did a kicking and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't at all. No, I didn't at all. I avoided the process completely, and I just abandoned everything else that I did in my life so that I could spend more time with him. And this is an interesting thing. I, like, uh, you can see quite clearly clues to black and white thinking when, uh, oh, I'm sorry, what black and white thinking is, it's like rigid, egoic structures and patterns inside your head that are te- basically protection mechanisms uh, that your ego has developed over time. You can tell these things because they usually are come with really strong language inside your head, like never. You can never do that. I will not. There's no way. I must do. That's black and white thinking. So anytime you have a thing that says you must be creative, you must be independent, you must live by yourself... Those kind of statements are uh, likely, they're black and white thinking, which usually means that they are protection mechanisms that have been built over time. And for me, it was, you must pursue creativity at all times. That meant that I isolated myself, set this rigid structure in the pursuit of this kind of like nebulous something out there, whatever it is. And um, on the one hand, it's a good thing because I have one singular focus, and that is focus on getting more creative through whatever that thing is, if it's comedy or writing or artwork or whatever. Just do that. So I do really well at that one thing because that's all I'm thinking about. That's all I'm doing. I isolate myself, spend no time with anybody else. Obviously, since I start, stopped drinking uh, a few years ago, there's no reason for me to like go out and party or hang out with anyone or do anything. So I did nothing. I just went to the gym, did my job, came home, sat in my shed, made stuff, and then went back to work. And that's all I did for the last three years, which is nice. I think I've achieved many things. I've had a great podcast. It's been really fun. But, uh, yeah, I was missing a giant aspect of my life. And that thing, I had really shut it down out of fear, really. So, because uh, I was telling myself, oh, you can't have both. Because you have, a, if you have a relationship, you will be distracted and you'll leave this other stuff behind which is not true, is it? It's totally true, clearly. I don't know how to control myself. So anyway, what I was curious about was like, how the fuck? Like, so I've spent the last definitely eight years and certainly the last three after I came out of a black hole, um, last eight years deciding that the only thing that mattered to me was pursuing a life of creativity. That went through a channel of pure hell where I just took a bunch of drugs and drank all the time and fucked myself up in the pursuit of like being creative and wild and whatever. Like the tortured artist nonsense. Did all of that, sunk into a hole, pulled myself out of the hole, became a Muay Thai fighter, did that for a long time, cleaned myself up, made a podcast, did all this shit over the last period of time, and the only thing that I never really let back into my life was uh, anybody else. So then, as soon as love comes knocking at the door, and it's right there in front of me, and it feels so nice, how is it possible that something that has driven my entire life, well, has driven my entire behavior patterns for eight years of my life, 
How is it that I could just abandon all of that because there's a boy in front of me that wants to love me? And boy by boy, of course, I mean man. That'd be ridiculous. So it's like, uh, yeah, what the fuck happened? How strong is that meaning really in my life if I'm so easily able to just give it up because someone wants to make out with me? You know? But we all do it. And, and the more I talk to other people about this, they're like, oh, you're in love. It's normal. It's like, yeah, it is normal, but it is a little bit confusing because it's like I kind of thought I had this like locked in. I sort of thought that I had this sus, that this, was, this is the way I was supposed to live. And uh, yeah, I was wrong. So there's a great book about this um, in the context of talking about meaning because I don't clearly know what gives life meaning because I'm happy to abandon my meaning for a boy that I'm in love with. Uh, this guy wrote a book on the concept of meaning. and His name is Viktor Frankl. He was a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he, he was a psychiatrist before uh, he was put into the concentration camps, uh, Jewish, clearly. And he, um, when he was in the concentration camps, he noticed that certain people could handle the like pure, dire suffering of the concentration camps better than others. And he was curious about what, what it was that set people apart from each other and people that survived the camps and other people that didn't. Uh, were, was there some psychological reasons why some people were more successful, I guess, at surviving it? So this is a quote from the book. He says, The experiences of camp life show that man does have a choice of action. Man can preserve a vestige of spiritual freedom, of independence of mind, even in such terrible conditions of psychic and physical stress. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So he believes, uh, obviously, that at the end of the day, anyone can take anything from you, but at the very last thing that you've got left in there is your own ability to choose your attitude in that circumstance. You can... Be beaten, but you can never lose, or vice versa. I don't know really which way to say that. You can lose, but you can't be beaten. Yeah, I think that makes more sense. If your brain is strong enough to push through, no matter what fucking horrific suffering you've got, and maintain some sense of respect and dignity and uh, courage, he argues that that is the ultimate freedom. Uh, you've got that choice. You always have that choice to make. I, I know it also, I mean, I just know it from fighting that if you go into the ring thinking, oh, fuck, I can't do this, I don't want to do this, this is no good, I don't want to be in here, you have a terrible fucking time. But if you go in there and strip away all of that shit, stop listening to all the bullshit inside your head and just do the job, focus on one round at a time, one punch at a time, just clearly listening to your trainers and letting the thing go, you do really well. So, I, I mean, I've experienced it on a personal level, obviously not in a concentration camp, that would be fucked, but, you know. So that's what he says. But he, So to the other point of how you can find meaning in life is, uh, as I had expected, purposeful work. So I had, in times of my own loneliness and stress and desperation and um, depression, I realized that, like, oh, fuck, I'm not living a meaningful life. I'm not doing anything that's contributing back to the world around me. I'm just surviving. I'm just waking up and going to sleep every day, doing the same bullshit, wiping down the same fucking tables, 
telling the same stories about this shit that I used to do that made me feel alive. You know, that stuff, you just get in this rhythm of just being a thing that exists. And I realized in that moment, like, fuck this. I can't live that way. I cannot. And yeah, what a stupid privileged thing to say. Like, yeah, I'm not sitting in a concentration camp just trying to survive or like digging out precious metals out of the ground every day. But I just got into this like state of just pure numbness because I wasn't living, wasn't experiencing, wasn't doing anything. So I had made a conscious decision that there's no point to my personal experience of existence unless I am actively pursuing something that matters to me and is meaningful to me. So um, he believes that meaning in life can be found in three ways. The way that I originally thought, which is purposeful work. The second one is love. And the third one is courage in the face of unavoidable suffering, like being trapped in a fucking concentration camp. Um, but so I had only just seen it in one way. And it was the, my own fault, really. And, and obviously hindsight's an amazing thing, but like I only ever saw that meaning could ever come from meaningful work because that was the only one that I assumed could never be taken away from me because creativity is kind of like infinitely expansive and I could always be pursuing new avenues of creativity and I was never going to be let down by myself or whatever. Um, well, no one else could let me down. Like I, all I have to do is just come back to sitting in a room by myself and draw a picture and I'm fine, I'm safe, I'm comfortable. So for me, I mean, I'd only ever seen this one way. I'd only ever seen that because I, I didn't trust that love I don't know, man. I, I know that I seek love or had sought love, that that was something that I always wanted to have, but always I never really trusted that it could be real or it could be there permanently. So I just went, no, I can, this is only something I can control, so I'm going to go with that. And that's a pure protection mechanism. That's a pure fear thing. Um, and because where I started this whole process was totally hopeless, then the that's kind of the stronger protection mechanism that you develop. So like the, the more hopeless and in a desperate state that you are when you need help, the more rigid the structure is going to be. Like imagine this, like if you have a broken arm, the, as soon as you break your arm, the very first thing you need is something really fucking solid to hold that thing in place. Like your arm is just going to be flopping down and hanging around and breaking in more pieces. So you have to build something really, really rigid and strong. And then over time, as the arm starts to heal and the muscles and bones and shit all start to go back into the right place, then you can go, you do a little bit of exercise, you can get a little bit of movement, you can go to a splint or whatever and slowly get that support down. And so what had happened to me is that I've built this support thing around me. This, I was desperate and lonely and basically feeling like there was no reason to me, for me to exist. So then I attached to this concept, I must pursue creativity at all costs fuck everybody else, fuck anything else. This is the only thing that matters to me because it's a survival tactic. This has now become a survival mechanism. Then over time, that survival mechanism has morphed into different ways of expressing myself and seeking connection to the outside world a little bit through the podcast, through comedy, getting live feedback for the stuff that I'm working on. So it was kind of like this rigid structure had now began to materialize and really uh, invest itself in my life. It became my entire world. Imagine, but is, imagine how like ludicrous that is to hold on to that. Like if you had a cast on your arm, and it's it is totally necessary, completely, absolutely necessary at first. Then it's like 
over time you get used to it because it fucking sucks at first. It's itchy. It's all scratchy and rigid and horrible. And you just wish you never broke your arm in the first place, but you can't really help it. Now you got a cast on. Then you get used to it and you start to barely notice that it's even there. And while that's happening, your muscles start to fade away because you're not using them. So like, I don't know if you, any, if you ever broken an arm or broken a muscle, broken a muscle, broken a bone that like, the cast used to be a certain size and then sometimes they have to redo the cast because the muscles have all atrophied around it. The muscles have all shrunk away. So that's what happens. The muscles will fade away. If you don't use something in your body, you lose it. It goes away. So then you, you don't have the muscles anymore to support the bones. And so then when you take the cast off, you've got this like fucking pathetic, weaselly little arm that aches and it's sore and it's confusing. It's super, super weak. It's nothing like it used to be because it's been wearing this, it has had to have this giant protection mechanism around it to keep it safe. And so if you're afraid of that and you need to go back about your life, but you can't lift a fucking bottle of water off the table, you'll put the cast back on and then use that because it's like, fuck, this is so much easier. At least I don't have to feel weak or pathetic or shitty while I'm doing this. I can just use this protection mechanism and I'm fine. But then the arm only gets weaker the less you use it. So either you have to wear that cast forever or you have to stop being such a bitch and like do the work, do the rehab exercises, take the time, go through the hurt and the pain and the struggle of using a shitty weak arm until it like you know, grows itself back. So what's cool about, um, what I really love about comedy and what's really cool about being in a relationship with somebody is that uh, it's scary, but it's good for you. It's like you have to face the facts about what you're doing and saying is going to be received in real time by a human right in front of your face. And this is what the reason why I wanted to do comedy in addition to this podcast is the podcast just allows me to fucking waffle on in my shed by myself for hours on end and then send it out into the world. And I do sometimes get feedback for shit, but I don't really know what the fuck anyone thinks about anything. And then it just comes and it goes and I just continue to do it. And what I wanted to do comedy for was like, I, I want to see how my ideas are being received. I want to see a real life experience of people hearing me and then reacting to me and hearing me back and reacting back, I think it helps you grow as a person. I think it's good to have your ideas challenged. And I think the stupid thing is, is it's really easy to say that in real life. But then when you uh, start having a relationship with somebody and they start questioning some of the shit you're saying, you have to back it up. You have to like know what the fuck you're talking about. Or you have to be humble enough to be like, actually... I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you help me, please? Should we Google it? And I've always thought that I was like quite a humble person and very uh, self-reflective and intuitive and whatever. And then I meet somebody who challenges me and meets me on the same level. And it's like, oh, fuck, I'm full of shit. Of course I'm full of shit. We're all full of shit. And I'm full of crazy, rigid structures and ideas about things that get poked and prodded all the time by a person who is a real-life feedback loop standing right in front of me. And this is what really fucking frustrates me about the modern generation of, like, Tinder and dating apps and all this bullshit, is that being vulnerable and open to another person in a relationship for the sake of developing a loving, long-term relationship is probably one of the most... uh, ego scratching but growing ways of navigating the world. 
it's really easy to think you're a certain way and hide away and do what you do on your own. As soon as you have to be around anybody else for any long, long-term period of time, eventually your bullshit is going to start to come to the surface. And none of us like having our bullshit brought up. None of us like being poked and prodded in the ego. It sucks because that's what the fucking ego is there for. It's to protect you from everything that's ever hurt you in your whole life. So every once in a while something's going to hurt you and you're going to react in the same old shitty way that you always have done because that's the way the ego works. It's like this fucking constant programming that is just designed to help you run away from shit that makes you feel yucky. But the problem is growing as a human being does sometimes make you feel a bit yucky. And so this is what my whole problem with the Tinder generation is, is that uh, people start to date each other or go out and see each other for a little bit and it's really fun and it's really exciting. And then one person will do one thing that kind of pokes your ego in a certain way or they ha- have a different way of dealing with something that you're not quite used to or they pose a different option to what you're used to or what you think is normal. And in that moment, what we used to do when we were dating people was like ride it out. You'd have space, you'd have time, you'd have like a courtship period where you would not just fuck somebody on the first date and then write them off. You would like go and spend time with them, get to know their family, get to know what their friends are like. Take your time getting to know a person so you get a whole picture and all of these tiny little things that spike up, you deal with them in the greater context of who the person is rather than, ugh, yuck, I don't like the way he chewed that. I don't like the way he looked over there, whatever the fuck it is. So with the Tinder generation, it's like, oh, I don't like those shoes he's wearing swipe to the next person or whatever you know what I mean like you if he said something about your hair that you were a bit precious about and then you go home later that night and then you just swipe away to other dudes and you can just get this stupid thought inside of your head like oh somebody else is going to be better someone else it's fucking nonsense it's bullshit what is actually happening when you're dating somebody else is somebody is holding up a mirror to your own face and pointing out the shit that you've got on your face and you can either be like fuck you for showing me that mirror or you can be like wow I've got shit on my face. Thank you so much for spending the time to show that to me. And then eventually over time, you both help each other clear the shit off your face so that you're not disgusting animals when you go out in the world. And then you can create little kids that aren't disgusting animals too because you spent enough time caring about each other and understanding how each other are here to help you grow as a human being. Um, and it doesn't, it's not hard when you think about it that way because it's like, oh, fuck. Oh, that's something I do. That's interesting. But on the other hand, uh, this should be taken with a grain of salt, obviously, because if you're with somebody who's like a fucking narcissistic psychopath or whatever, they're constantly pointing out shit that's wrong with you or whatever, you don't feel good about them, your experience of your life is not enhanced by them, you don't feel like you're growing, you feel like you're becoming smaller or nervous or, I don't know, any of those other things, uh, you know, you don't have to stay, you don't have to hang in there either. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it is very difficult to know why you might feel good or bad about a person. That most of the time, 90% of the time, the way a person makes you feel is how you feel about you, not how they make you do anything. Nobody else can make you feel anything. They're showing you aspects of yourself that you either like or don't like. And you either experience this person and enjoy their company or don't enjoy their company. That's kind of all it is. It's as simple as that. We tend to way fucking overthink the thing. 
And it's really endlessly frustrating to me that people, um, and girls are fucking so bad for this. You hear girls talk about this, like, you don't deserve that. You do not deserve that treatment. And it's like, sometimes, bitch, you do. Sometimes you are an annoying cunt. And sometimes somebody's got to fucking call you on it. You know what I mean? It's okay. It's okay to be told that you're obnoxious if you're being obnoxious. And it's okay to accept that somebody can tell you that you're obnoxious and not take it so personally that you have to like run away and hide. So anyways, what the fuck am I even talking about? So this is, uh, this is, and this is an interesting, uh, element of being in a relationship with people where, um, I have historically not even allowed that aspect in because I didn't want it. I didn't want to feel poked and prodded. I wanted to just continue pressing forward in my life and trying to discover my own potential my own way. And I think you can only go so far doing it that way. And this is why, like, you know, you have to go and push yourself to a limit doing something. And, and comedy was amazing for that, or is amazing for that, that I can constantly be pushing myself to try new things and try harder. But then I realized, like, fuck, I'm doing this on two major levels now. And uh, <laughs> so I thought, like, oh, I can't doing creativity stuff is the thing that's going to keep me alive and keep me happy. And then all of a sudden there's love staring me straight in the face. And I realized, Oh Jesus Christ, this is what I'm born to do. This feeling is like, you know, like making a family, being in a loving partnership, being in a loving team with somebody who really genuinely wants the best for me and is going to be there for me every day. Like fucking hell. That's nice too. And so what I have done over the last couple months is um, I was trying to kind of juggle both of them and deal with the structure, this crazy rigid structure that I'd built for myself out of protection from fear and disappointment and also to, in search of meaning and trying to juggle that structure plus this brand new chaotic thing um, that love is. It's a crazy whirlwind of constant emotion and beautiful, exciting things. All of a sudden I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know how to manage both of these together. So instead of like doing the normal person thing where you just like take a little bit of each and slowly integrate them. I just bailed the whole structure. I was like, oh yeah, fuck it. I don't need that anymore because it makes me feel scared and lonely and you make me feel really good. So I'm just going to stick over here with you. <laughs> and when, and this is a crazy thing too about what happens to our ego. And I think this is another reason why people tend to abandon their friends or things that they know or their work or whatever, get distracted when they fall in love because when you fall in love, you are naturally shaking up the old order of things, the way you used to live your life, all the rigid structures you had in your life, whether they're protective or not, whatever. Your whole life is going to change while you're trying to navigate a way uh, for this other person to experience their life with you. Then also, uh, as before mentioned, they are poking and prodding at your ego because you are trying to be vulnerable and let them in. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it feels good. You know, you're growing and changing as a person. You're trying to accommodate this other person in your life. So when that happens, when you feel a bit wounded or a bit lost or a bit ungrounded, the main thing that you're going to do is seek more validation and reward. So the more ego damage you're taking, the more likely you're going to seek gratification and confirmation of those ego structures. So it's a fucking crazy thing. While you're in the middle of trying to get rid of them, your ego is also at the same time trying to patch them up as hard as they can. <laughs> so you're like chasing your fucking tail around. So if love is in front of you and it's new and shiny and neat and wonderful and exciting 
anytime that something makes you feel a bit bored or rigid or struck or stuck, you are going to run to that new shiny and exciting thing. Then that new shiny, exciting thing is going to make you feel a bit scared because it's all unknown and fearful, and you're going to run straight back to that structure. So you're constantly going on this push and pull track. Um, oh, and this is really interesting. So what I wanted to also talk about today is not just meaning, but it's like what actually physically is happening to you when you're in love. This is fucking um, so interesting. When you fall in love with somebody, your brain actually undergoes like significant neurological changes. They, it's no question that love is actually a drug, but it's like the, the initial primal drug that we have. Every other drug that's ever been invented has been a replication and a shortcut to try and get this feeling of love. Uh, what happens neurologically is that there's increased activity in the reward circuits of the brain, uh, a.k.a. dopamine, the areas of the brain that release dopamine. And dopamine we hear about all the time because it's the thing, it's a primitive part of the brain. It's very clearly, ah, that feels good, I want more, and it gives you motivation and focus to get more. That's all it is, and it constantly reinforces itself. It's a reward system. These same regions, we know about dopamine because they are the same regions that are activated with cocaine and with heroin. It's that feeling of like, ooh, that feels good. I need a bit more of that. I'm going to have this for a while, and fuck, once it's gone, I'm definitely going to need to get some more. Um, in that book, Chasing the Scream, that I constantly talk about by Johan Hari, he talks about rebranding the word addiction to bonded that somebody's not addicted to a substance, they become bonded to a substance in the same way that you become bonded to a partner or bonded to a family unit. Um, and so what's happening when you fall in love is that the reward systems are being activated inside your brain and you get this big release of dopamine all the time when that person's around. Then the other thing that happens um, at the exact same time which seems oxymoronic, but it uh, makes sense, is that you also have an increase in cortisol in your system, which is your stress hormones. So because you have this like reward system uh, and it's like, fuck, that feels good. I want more. I'm motivated to get more. The more you want it, the more your brain starts to be like, yeah, but what would happen if we lost it? So that makes you a bit nervous because it's like, oh, fuck, I can't let this go away because this feels really good and I want it to keep happening. So if I do anything wrong here, I may lose this thing. So you start to have elevated levels of stress and stress is what releases cortisol in your system. And I didn't realize that this happens, but when you have an increase in cortisol in your system, you have an automatic decrease in serotonin. And serotonin and dopamine are the two um, kind of like mood regulator, happy chemicals inside your head that we always talk about with drug abuse and serotonin is the one uh, that is more or less your mood regulator this is the thing that um, it kind of stops you from being a nut like when you have balance in serotonin you're an even keel type of person you're pretty you can handle your happiness and you can ha handle your sadness and you're kind of pretty much normal when you have imbalances in serotonin you either go flying through the roof and think you're fucking god or you want to kill yourself so when you have an increase in cortisol, you have an automatic decrease in serotonin. So it sets your serotonin off balance. This uh, makes you feel more stress and anxiety, obviously. Am I good enough? Are they going to love me back? And the decrease in serotonin makes you do more crazy, obsessive things and have obsessive thoughts. Like, oh, I can't live without them. What are they doing? Why can't I stop thinking about them? Like, you like the way they smell. You're looking for signals for them all the time. You hear a song and it reminds you of them. All that shit, that's serotonin. 
So this is, uh, your dopamine is pushing your reward system to seek more of that feeling. And then because of how much that matters to you, you start to have a uh, increase in stress because you f worry about being good enough or, letting, or having it go away, which then plummets your serotonin, which makes you do nutty, crazy bullshit stuff. And that's embarrassing, right? It sucks. We all know what the right thing to do is, and then they do something weird, like they look sideways at something, and then you start thinking, you know, oh, fucking, what was that? Was that some girl that he fucked before? And then it's like, <gasps> and then you start to get weird and coy, and, and they're like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And you're like, I don't know. I'm just reacting to an insane part of my brain that just made up some nonsense story because I'm afraid of you. <laughs> it's bullshit. And I, any normal person, and uh, most of us, just go like, oh, fuck, I'm being an idiot. Relax. Shake it out, and it's over. Um. So that's the the neurochemical changes, but then they're also uh, the one that probably you've probably heard of this, and I've talked about it in other podcasts before, is that there's an increase in oxytocin and uh, vasopressin, which is more common in men. But um, oxytocin is the they call it the love hormone. It's a chemical neurochemical inside your system that is released during physical touch sex, orgasms. Um, also when a mother is breastfeeding, she releases this a lot when she gives birth to a baby because the point of oxytocin is to make you bonded to other things. And mammals are the only ones that have oxytocin systems and they are the only ones that um, create bo these bonds the way that we do. So oxytocin is responsible for creating family units and loving partnerships. So when you're in love, obviously, you have uh, increased focus and motivation to get more of that shit from dopamine, then you are a little bit more stressed because you're afraid of losing it, which plummets your serotonin and makes you fucking nutty. And then you have an increase in oxytocin, which makes you feel bonded to that other person, which then makes you feel connected to them, a little bit more trusting, a little bit safer to be vulnerable with them because at the end of the day, you feel like whatever this chaos is, this little roller coaster you're riding is worth pursuing for uh, some infinite period of time in the future. Uh, oxytocin is fucking amazing because not only does it uh, make you feel bonded to the other person, it actually makes you a better person yourself. It um, gives you a sense of con contentment, calmness, and security, which obviously chills out that crazy stress response, which then re-levels uh, out your serotonin levels so you're not such a fucking nut. And then it also increases uh, nerve growth factor, NGF, which is like a little kind of protein sort of thing that stimulates the growth of new neurons. How cool is that? When you feel bonded and connected and safe and content, your brain and your body develop new ways of experiencing the world through neurons. It reinforces your sensations and experiences of the world. Isn't that fucking amazing? Um, with an increase in NGF in your system, that means that your brain is better at creating new connections inside your head. So it's more flexibility inside your brain for more information, learning, and understanding. So you can learn more about that person. You can be more open to change and try new things with them. You're more adaptable and more forgiving of the wacky way that they chew their food or whatever. How fucking cool is that? So when, and it makes perfect sense because like when you're in love with somebody, you're like, oh yeah, I've never heard this band, but I like it. And then after you break up, you're like, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> 
that's what it is. You are so, you're with this flood of oxytocin, whether coming in your mouth or whatever, or just cuddling you or giving you nice sensations, you are getting this giant flood of oxytocin, which makes you feel much more relaxed and comfortable with them. That like whatever they're saying and doing, you're like, all right, that sounds pretty cool. I'll give it a go. And then after about a year and a half of being with somebody, that oxytocin still stays around for a long time. You always have oxytocin, but the serotonin stuff balances itself right out and the dopamine stops coming. So you are less motivated to make excuses for them. This is, it becomes a much more normalized, bonded relationship. Um, also, an increase of oxytocin improves creativity, lateral thinking, and holistic problem solving, which makes obviously perfect sense because you got more fucking brain power. Your brain works better. And on a curious and fun side note, um, an increase in oxytocin in your blood also improves wound healing. Isn't that crazy? We are designed to heal better when someone cares about you. So like the, if you're a shit cunt and nobody likes you and you cut yourself, you're going to heal twice as long as like the legend at the party. You know what I mean? The person that's like giving out soup at a soup kitchen and then helping old ladies cross the street, that person will have a much better chance of healing a festy wound than you, a selfish cunt, will. Isn't that cool? So, like, if you ever injure yourself or get hurt or whatever, go straight away and do something nice for somebody else, and I promise you'll feel better. It's biologically inevitable that you will feel better. So that old thing where they say kiss it and make it better, that's actually a real thing. If somebody kisses your wounds... Not obviously, hopefully, your open wounds, but ask somebody for a prolonged hug, preferably someone you know, so it doesn't feel like rape. Anyways, so that's pretty cool, isn't it? So that's what's happened to me. I've just explained to you all of the many chemical things that are going on inside my brain right now. And, um, probably sounds like a giant excuse, and I guess that's what this is, is that I'm just trying to make an excuse for why I haven't done anything creative for the last month and a half. <laughs> and it makes sense to me why I would kind of abandon creative pursuits in the face of love, because uh, creativity actually, neurologically, is very similar to being in love. And that's probably why I've wanted it for so long. It's, it's, I mean, it makes perfect sense. If I grew up in an environment where I thought that love was fleeting, and not to be relied upon, the very first thing I would do when I felt like that was go to my bedroom and draw a picture or read a book or write something. And that's a like whole fucking typical, stereotypical, like uh, goth teenager fuckwit. They're like, whatever, I'm just going to go to my room and paint my nails, <laughs> listen to music. But that's what happens when you feel like you're not being understood, not being connected to, you don't have any positive relationships in your life or whatever, or you're feeling lonely or misunderstood, you go and try to express yourself because that is also a very good avenue to release these same neurochemicals that make you feel good. When you get into a flow state, when you're working on something and you kind of lose yourself in the thing you're working on, it could be physical exercise, but it could be painting or drawing or making music or whatever, you... Um, you enter into what they call like a flow state or the zone. And this is something I've been chasing my whole fucking life. And it is a release of dopamine, norepinephrine, anandamide, serotonin, and other endorphins that make you feel fucking on fire. 
it basically is a feel-good, it's a cocktail, chemical cocktail inside your brain that makes you feel really good, but also with a heightened sense of awareness, so you feel like a superhuman, and then uh, extra ability to learn new things. So when you try, try to do something in that state, it's almost like you can't do it wrong because your body just rolls without you having to think about it. And uh, you have increased motivation to continue to try and work harder without any of that bullshit voice of doubt in your head. And you have an increase in pattern recognition and lateral thinking, which is uh, being able to see exactly what the fuck is going on in your way through something. So yeah, it's, it's like quite an addictive state in the same way that love is. So a lot of the same chemicals are at play, and this, a lot of the same chemicals are at play when you take uh, drugs as well. It's all the same shit. No wonder we're addicted to drugs, because we all lack love, or we don't know how to channel our creative energy. And so I had gone down one channel, drugs for a long time, or alcohol really more than anything, then uh, realized that wasn't helping, so I did creativity for a long time, and then uh, to the exclusion of all other things, then uh, cut out love, and then love appeared, and was so fucking strong I couldn't resist it and didn't want to, for God's sakes, because it feels amazing, and then it was like, okay, now here we are. I can't just go all in on one of these things. I have to take drugs again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have to have a balance. This whole thing about finding meaning is that there are many avenues to finding meaning in life, and it's so important that we know how to balance our shit to keep us happy. And also because I don't want to put too much pressure on my boyfriend to constantly be the thing, the only thing that makes me happy, and vice versa. He's got to have his shit, i got to have my shit, and then we come together and do cool shit together. So, Yeah. It's an interesting thing. The ego structure resists change all the time, but it has no choice. You have to change. You must grow. This is the whole point of experiencing life. There's no experience if you are just living out rigid, structured patterns. And just think about it. Like anyone you've ever talked to, older people you've talked to, and you start talking to them, they tell you the same stories over and over and again, or they tell you about that one time that they used to be a champion at X. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, but what now? Like, you're 65. What happened yesterday? Even if it's boring as fuck, you were still alive yesterday. You might be telling me the story about when you were 25, but that's 45 years in between then and now that you could have been growing as a person. And instead, you latch onto some bullshit of winning some car race when you were fucking 25, and nobody gives a shit anymore. And this is the thing, like, it's not that I don't care about people's achievements in life. I, I do, because I think you have to respect that somebody worked hard enough to get to a place or whatever. But no one gives a fuck. What we care about is our experience of each other in the moment. And if you're draining somebody with stories about when you could have been better, could have been slimmer, was faster, was whatever, and I do it all the time. Don't think I'm sitting here just telling you that you're a piece of shit because I constantly do this. I'm doing it all the time, especially uh, fucking with fight training. It's just ridiculous. Like I try to hit pads again. Even just this morning, I tried to hit pads again. It's like, fuck, wait till you see what I'm like when I'm actually fit because it's a totally different story. But really, is it now? Can I just relax and have fun? Isn't it neat that someone would offer to hold pads for me and I could just have fun with them? Isn't that the thing? Not constantly making excuses why I can't do it good anymore. Do it good. <laughs> why I can't do it well anymore. So, yeah. Anyway, I needed to have a little bit of a reset there, and I needed to allow, I think, cut a big fucking hole in this giant structure around me to let this love thing in. 
And it feels so fucking good. It's good. It's good to change and grow. And I'm really sorry that it happened at the expense of you guys not having a podcast to listen to uh, because I do understand that I have a responsibility to create this thing because I said I would and uh, people support the podcast and I have been a fucking total piece of shit in abandoning it. But I'm hoping that uh, as I grow as a human being, this shit will get better. And I know my comedy is going to get better too because I think... For fuck's sake, I've been just taking myself too goddamn seriously again. And this happens too. When your ego structures uh, when your ego structures are being challenged, you definitely tend to lock in a little bit. It's like digging your heels in the sand and just kind of being like, ah, this is me. I'm this guy. And it's like, it's all right. Fucking let go. It doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be just so. It's okay to let things get shaken up a little bit. It's okay to change shit around a little bit. So, I don't know. I think I misunderstood my own motivations for seeking value in the things that I'm doing in my life and what I probably uh, needed a little reminder that meaning comes in many ways. And um, so if we go back to what Frankel says, just to summarize, we can discover meaning in life in three different ways. One, by creating work or doing a deed, having meaningful work. Two, by experiencing something or encountering someone in love. And three, by the attitude that we take towards unavoidable suffering or courage, as he says, in the face of unavoidable suffering. And he says, uh, again, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. This is the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. So he doesn't think that there's any such thing as the meaning of life. He says, ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather he must recognize that it is he who is asked. In a word, each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible. Responsibleness is the very essence of human existence. So isn't that nice? You taking responsibility for your own life, your own feelings, and your own actions is the meaning of life. That's kind of nice. It puts it back on you. So I can be responsible for the way I react to love or the way I react to creativity or the way I react to my podcast or the way I react to somebody staring at me in the face. All of those things are completely within my control. And the way I deal with them gives me meaning, courage, strength, doing good. Those are all things that you can do in every single moment. And I've talked about this a bunch before, but like little tiny shit. If if that is what gives your life meaning, then tiny little shit that you do in a day, the way you take the trash out, the way you wash the dishes, the way you treat the people around you, all of those things are little opportunities to give yourself meaning by doing it perfectly or doing it as best as you possibly can rather than trying to be a something or trying to remember when you were a something just try to be exactly perfect right then that's a nice idea take complete responsibility for everything you do every which way I think that's nice because what I'm kind of realizing is that like if my drive and purpose and motivation is to get something is ambition for a thing then I'm definitely just running from a void. And that's going to come unhinged as soon as I get that thing or lose the thing. Like if I want to become a doctor, 
then as soon as I become a doctor, then I've got no meaning in my life anymore because it's done, you know what I mean? The game's over. I said I wanted to be a doctor, now I'm a doctor, so what? And this is always the thing that happens. People are always like, oh, I just want to be on a movie. And then they get on a movie and they're like, oh, the fucking catering sucked. The work hours suck. <laughs> it's like you're constantly unsatisfied with what you're doing. And that's because the motivation was an ambition for a thing. The meaning that you applied was the achievement of a thing rather than if your drive, purpose, and motivation are meaning in the sense that Frankel describes, then you can only be in one place at a time and everything is imbued with meaning, including just the way you pet your dog. If you do it purposefully, mindfully, connectedly, right there with that dog in that moment, you can only be in one place at a time. Distraction, resentment, worry, laziness, gluttony, hedonism, all the shit just feeding your fucking fat face with nonsense or just trying to get all the things that feel good all the time. All of that lacks meaning. What you end up doing there is just being congested in your own head and in this hunt for more shit. So instead of all of that, use your ability to create a structure. Me, Lorna, I'm talking to myself here. Use this ability to create rigid structures that I know work for me because I'm very disciplined and I can get shit done. Use it to create space for all the things that I love so that I can be present and achieve meaning in all of them. So if I create this time now to be working on my podcast on my own, by myself, I'm completely committed to doing this podcast and not worried about a fucking thing anywhere else in the world. Once I've done that time, got the job done, then I can tick into the next task for the day, whatever the fuck that is. Then when I've done that and I've got time to spend time with my boyfriend, I can be 100% there completely with him, not resenting the time I'm spending with him when I should be doing something else or vice versa. That's it. Easier said than done, surely, but fuck it. This is the direction we're headed in, team. And again, I am really sorry for abandoning you for these few weeks. I am, and I'm back in action now, and uh, I'm going to be, I don't know, exploring all the different kinds of weird shit and trying to do new stuff, and why not? I'm trying... I don't know. I got to let go of all the shit that I think I need to be a thing and do a stuff and whatever. I just want to make cool shit that people like and get into and it's fun and shit that I like and the shit that I feel connected to. That's what I'm going for. So if you like this stuff and you want to help me out, you can. You go to my website, uh, check out any of the shit that's on there. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Lorna Bremner or you just like my Facebook and Instagram pages and shit. I don't do really much of anything, certainly not in the last few months because I uh, can't be fucked and I find it exhausting and stupid. But, uh, you know, there's some good, funny, stupid shit on there periodically. Hope you guys have had a uh, wonderful few months and uh, I will be talking to you again next week.